sake. Amen. Amen. Well, as I thought of the service this evening and praying for wisdom regarding what I might bring to you from God's word, I thought one thing is true of our friends that they're facing, to a certain extent, of course, an unknown future. Of course, that's really true of all of us in that we do not know what the future holds. However, it is particularly true of our friends. They are leaving familiar things and facing things not so familiar to them. Consequently, in praying and thinking, I want to share with you the words from Philippians chapter 4 and verses 4 to 7. Philippians chapter 4 and particularly verses 4 to 7. Now we are all of course very familiar with this chapter and uh, not only the opening part but we're very familiar with this very human situation. Two people who couldn't agree with one another. It happened to be women in this occasion, but they're not the only people who can't always agree with one another. And it reminds us, brothers and sisters, we're all human. And even in the New Testament church, there were disagreements from time. People uh, disagreed about situations and decided, well, we're not going to go that way, and so on. And then it is that there is, a, it seems to me, a sudden change in Paul's thoughts as he turns to something more positive. We don't know what brought about this sudden change in Paul's mind. But as we look at these four verses, it seems to me, at least to me, that they're like uh, four steps. They each build on the other. And they begin the first step at verse 4. And we arrive at the top stairs, as it were, at verse 7. That's how it appeals to me, these four verses. So we begin with the first step. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. F.B. Meyer, a familiar writer of other years, no doubt some of you folk will know F.B. Meyer, and he says this, Amid your tears, keep a trustful, joyful heart. Now rejoicing in your gifts, in your successors, successes in your friends, but rejoicing in him. Rejoice in the Lord. So, so often in Scripture, we are pointed to a solid, objective reality, the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord giver of every good and perfect gift. Rejoice in the one who is the same. 
yesterday, today and forever. Our circumstances change constantly. We live in an incredibly uncertain world, but God remains constant. Rejoice in him. Rejoice in the one who redeemed you. Who forgave all your sins. And set you on course for eternity. I reminded you in my prayer for believers. The best is yet to be. Rejoice in him. Who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could think or imagine. Rejoicing in him who is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding great joy. Rejoice in him who's given you all things richly to enjoy. Sometimes, as we all look at our fellow believers, we might wonder, and I sometimes, have you forgotten? It says in Scripture, he's given you all things richly to enjoy. That's tremendous, isn't it? Sometimes we as believers, by the way we look and speak, it's hard to believe that we believe he's given us all things richly to enjoy. Notice two. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not sometimes when you are particularly disposed to do so. You're feeling in a pretty good mind or good mood or whatever and you want to praise God. As if somehow it were an act of condescension to do so. To rejoice in the Lord. After all, all these wonderful blessings we have, brothers and sisters, they're ours for always, for all eternity. And you ought then to rejoice in the Lord always. It's not always easy to do so, but that's what we're called to do. So from rejoicing, Paul, Paul turns his attention to the believer's attitude and behavior towards others. So verse 5. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Here we're reminded of one of the most important things of the Christian life. How we behave. Especially towards others. Now having said that we are faced with a problem. Because this interesting Greek word is translated as reasonable and sometimes as gentleness. It's one of the most complex Greek words to put into English. So you read different translations of it. Maybe gentleness, reasonableness. But whatever what you see clearly is that our attitude, it's our behavior that's being talked about. Well, you talked about reasonableness or gentleness. It's all to do with behavior. 
whatever way those words were translated. When Christianity burst out, quite literally, that's what happened when the church was scattered abroad because of persecution and when it broke out into the Greek and Roman words, that which was so noticeable to the pagans was how these Christians behaved towards one another. They, the Greeks and Romans, they had never seen such selfless love towards one another. The pagan word of the New Testament times had never heard such words be kindly, affectionate towards one another. That's the New Testament. And they had never ever come across words that said love your neighbor as yourself those words were quite extraordinary because the Greek and Roman world was often filled with selfishness and cruelty for some reason recently I was drawn to read a a bit about the Spartans They were incredibly disciplined people, but often incredibly cruel. Every little baby born had to be tested to see if it was worthy to survive. And if it wasn't, it was left out in the forest to die. And into this pagan world, cruel and selfish, there came the message of the gospel. The message of love and concern for one another, even putting others first. We're familiar with these things. We don't always grasp. They were, and I don't like using the words revolutionary, it's overused. But it was, it impacted. And no wonder the Greeks and Romans says, well, you know, they've turned the world upside down. Incredible. How they behave. Towards one another. Yet it is here that sometimes some believers feel miserably. They don't always show gentleness and reasonable to one another, let alone to those outside. Sometimes believers forget that while the world may not be Christian, sometimes the world knows quite well how we as Christians are supposed to behave. Of course, we can never be perfect, yet we need to give great care as to how we behave towards each other and those outside. If the beauty of Jesus is not seen in us, where will it be seen? This is a reminder to us as how demanding the Christian life is. The standards of behavior are far above those of the world. Now, to add to that, there are these four words. The Lord is near. It reminds us the Lord sees and knows how we behave. And for me, and I'm sure it must be for you, they're quite sobering words. The Lord knows 
All about it is our thoughts and everything. The Lord is near. And thinking of that, it reminded me of some word from Genesis chapter 16, 13. A completely different situation, but there the words are found. The words of Sarah, you are the God who sees me. And that is a reminder. Absolutely nothing is hidden from God. And not least, of course, our behavior. It's to remind us that every day that we live our lives, in home, at work, or wherever, God knows all about us. He sees everything, and he sees especially what's hidden from others. He sees the attitude of our minds, and he knows how we act and how we think. The Lord is near. Well, now we come on to two more steps. First is, of course, we know so very well. Here without question is the greatest cure for anxiety, especially for believers. And I draw your attention to them. And notice how carefully the words in these two verses appear. First of all, verse 6 Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Notice the wisdom of the Apostle Paul. He does not say, don't be anxious about anything, and stops dead. He doesn't do that. That would have been totally unhelpful to anyone. After all, no one wants to be anxious. I don't know of anyone who says, I love being anxious and full of worry. No. So the Apostle Paul does not say, don't be anxious. And that's all. Thank God he doesn't end there. But look at how Paul deals with anxiety. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Notice how these two things, as it were, stand as opposites to one another. On the one hand, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, Don't do this, but do that. And so often in his writings, in the writings of the apostles, there's a negative followed by a positive, and that's wisdom indeed. Oh, it's very easy to say to anybody, don't do that. And people can often, meaning well, say, oh, don't worry. Well, and you may say, oh, well, <laughs> how easy it is for you to say that. Just don't worry. So Paul says, don't worry or be fretful about anything, whatever it is. Don't let anything, any uncertainty, 
unsettle you. We human beings, we live in a world, whether we like it or not, of routines. And we love familiar things. It's very comforting to us. But often and regularly, those routines are interrupted. They're broken. And suddenly we might think, whoa, what's happened? What do I do now? So the apostle gives us a remedy for being anxious. He says, don't let anything unsettle you. You see, the devil loves it when believers are worried or fretful or unsettled. That means they're not in a fit state to serve the Lord. When they get anxious and fretful and the devil loves to encourage us, he loves to encourage us to be a pessimist. And we all have our different temperaments. You must have heard me say it over and over again, but it's so crucial to remember that. And so the devil knows our weak points, and so he loves it when believers are worried, fretful or unsettled, and they're not able then to serve the Lord as they might. But the truth of the matter is, of course, we do worry. Yes, we do. And we're unsettled. Not one of you could raise your hand here this evening or everyone say, oh, I was never worried. I was never unsettled. It's not possible. So what is the remedy then? Prayer. However, I think here some believers may have a problem. I'm not sure if you see, is prayer enough? Don't worry, so pray. Some hard prayer is not it doesn't seem the same as action. Prayer. Yet real prayer is definite action. It requires thought, using the mind, thinking thoughtfully of how to pray, praying with expectation of answers, that is action. Then to <coughs> notice prayer must be accompanied by thanksgiving. Or perhaps you remember <coughs> how we used to be taught about prayer, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, and supplication. And that, you see, adds substance to our prayers. And all that is very definite action. So prayer is action. We may think, well, I'm just sitting and I, I'm talking. And you may even be tempted to think, I just seem to be talking into the air, as it were. But we're to pray. And pray with thanksgiving. And notice, we're to pray about everything. There's nothing too small or seemingly insignificant that we can't bring it to God in prayer. In our church in Devonshire Drive, we had one man prayed, and sometimes he caused a lot of smiles within us because of what he prayed for. But it was very practical. And I thought, well, that's dead, right? What he's praying. He prayed simple, practical, 
prayers. He spoke to God as if he was his friend, and that's the way it should be. And we are, after all, brothers and sisters, coming to one who is our heavenly Father and who loves us, all his children. And he's concerned for us. Now let me give you three things to remember about prayer. First, that the love of God desires only the very best for all of your believers. The love of God desires only the best for you. Sometimes the way things go, you might wonder about that. But God overrules and directs all things for our best. And secondly, remember this, the wisdom of God is such alone which knows what is best for us. We don't always know what's best for us. In fact, we're often struggling to know just what's the right thing to do. What, what am I to do in this situation? And often we don't know what to do. But God's wisdom knows what is best for us. And thirdly, the power of God alone can bring to pass that which is best for us all, whoever we are here this evening, whether it's our friends leaving or any of us. First of all, the love of God that desires only the very best for us. And it's the wisdom of God, of God that knows what is the best for us. And it's the power of God which alone can bring to pass that which is best for us. Hallelujah. So, okay, what then is the outcome of all this? Well, that brings us to the top stair, if you like, the final step. These incredible words of the Apostle Paul. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The last line of that verse goes this, will guard your hearts. And the Greek language is incredibly rich. It's enormously rich. In many ways, far richer than the English language. And in that particular, those particular words, the Apostle Paul turns as word to the words of the army to the military and he uses this word guard the picture of the soldier and sentry duty or sometimes some translations put it and the peace of God will garrison your heart the whole as it were the whole entire army is keeping your heart what more could you ask for than that? And all our needs and all our distresses and everything. The guard is there. The whole garrison to keep our hearts and mind. God's peace will guard you from anxiety. How does it do that? 
Well, it does it as you trust him as a heavenly father. And I can never stress that enough. He is our heavenly father. And let us also, brothers and sisters, remember the words of Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and grace to help us in our time of needs. Notice the words. Let us in with confidence. Approach the throne of grace. We approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because of our heavenly Father who cares for us. We don't come with any confidence in ourselves. When we look at ourselves, and we know we wouldn't. But we come with confidence because God invites us to do so. And we can come wonderfully joyfully. I commend you the biography of George Mueller if you've never read it. It's a wonderful life of prayer. And we all know the wonderful answers he had to prayer. And George Mueller said this about prayer. He says, well, I pray. And he said, I just simply look and expect answers. And that's what prayer is all about. That's the whole purpose of prayer in the first place. I've often rebuked myself. I do it often, alas. I pray about something and then I start to worry. And I say to myself, I talk to myself very often. And I say to myself, Wait a minute, you've just prayed about that. Now you're anxious. You're insulting God. We don't mean to do it. I certainly wouldn't. And I think, oh, that's true. That's so true. We come confidently at God's invitation. And the purpose of praying is to bring to God all our needs, fears, anxieties, and expect and look and anticipate answers. Look out for them. So then, as all of us, every one of us here gathered this evening, face the future, whatever it may hold, let us rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the wisdom of the Apostle Paul when he wrote these words and gave uh, sound advice. We're not to worry about anything, but in everything, to pray. And so we commend our friends to you and ask you to be with them as they face the future. We just pray that they, Matthew and Karen, and Mark and Debbie might remember these words of Scripture and may they enrich them and enrich us and keep us day by day as we seek to serve you.